Can we thank Shelly and the children's ministry team for blessing us today? You know Jesus loves this. You know he and the Father are in heaven just watching this, and I love those guys. <laughs> and I love you guys. Thank you so much for uh, loving my family and myself during um, uh, the trial that we're going through. Many of you are going through tough times, but Jesus is faithful. He's faithful in the good times, the tough times, and he is waiting for this all to wrap up, and we all get to be with him for eternity, and we're going to be worshiping him forever and ever. So, now, um, is, what, what age group is uh, headed out? I need, I need somebody to give me, uh, maybe you guys know what's going on. Is it, is it, what's that? K through second? Great, and three through five. All right, very good. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor of the Gathering Place Church. And, uh, you know, 14 years ago, I met a, uh, a man named David DeWitt and his wife, Christina. And they have a, uh, they started a ministry downtown San Diego called uh, the City of Refuge. And here was their, here was their philosophy of ministry. Incarnation means, the incarnation means that God became human and dwelt among us. That's how we know how much he cares about us. He didn't shout from heaven didn't send an angel to do the work, didn't manifest himself in fire and smoke and thunder and lightning like he did oftentimes in the Old Testament. He came himself to be with us. This is one of the uh, age-old questions that rolls around in the soul of every human being from the day they are born to the day they die. It's the question that's been asked by philosophers for centuries, and the question began after the fall from the, in the Garden of Eden. Does God exist? If he does, does he care? Is he with me? Where is God? And so my friend um, David and Christina DeWitt, I went to visit them downtown San Diego 14 years ago, and they decided that rather than helping the poor and the indigent and the, and the, the homeless from afar and touching in every once in a while or sending somebody to do the work, they decided they were going to move downtown and live with the poor. And they rented a little house and then began feeding 30 people a month. Fourteen years later, they have six homes. They feed uh, 6,000 people downtown San Diego a month. And there are college students that are flying from all over the world to do week internships and high schoolers that go down there. You can visit down there anytime you want. And they, they uh, help the helpless. Because they said, this is Jesus. And the testimonies of many of them are, 
I did not know who Jesus was until I came here, but I can see him through the love of the people that are meeting our needs. That is the gospel. God came to be with us to show us how much he loves us. That is why when Isaiah the prophet was communicating to the human race, 700 years before Jesus came, he said this. This was the prophecy of Jesus coming, God coming to the earth to be with us. Therefore, the Lord himself, Isaiah seven fourteen. therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? Say it out loud. See, God could have named his son anything. He purposely named himself in human form God with us. Because we all need God. I don't care how much you accumulate, how much you accomplish in this earth. There is going to be an emptiness on the inside of you because it's God's place. I remember when I was in college, I was a freshman in college. I did not know God. I did not know Jesus. I was not filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would, I would party. I, would, I, had a, I had a girlfriend. I had a job. I was going to school. I, had a, I, was, I was developing a career. I mean, I had all of the external things that life is supposed to offer joy, offer you joy. And yet, there was a hole in me that kept getting larger. And so I decided to take more classes until I was taking 14 credits. I mean, I was loaded. I had a part-time job. I had a girlfriend. I had a wonderful relationship with my family. I'm going to college. And yet, the more I added the emptier I got. It was a paradox. It was driving me crazy until somebody told me that the answer was Jesus. And I told them, you are barking up the wrong tree. I wanted nothing to do with religion. I I knew for sure that was not the answer. But he kept bugging me until I finally went to church with him. And it wasn't like any church I'd ever gone to. I went to the church with the cathedral and they did half of the service in Latin and there was a lot of tradition and I just didn't understand it all. It was very complicated to me and it seemed so distant and God was way out there. I went to a place that was like this. People just relax, wearing jeans, everybody has a Bible, people are celebrating, clapping on their hands and I thought, well, what is this? And I could feel joy and yet nobody was high. I remember the third time I was going, it was on a Friday night. I was jumping in my car to go to that place. And I thought, oh, no, I don't have any money for cover charge. Then I realized I'm not going to a bar. I'm going to that place where there's no cover charge and everybody's happy. It was weird. And so after the third time of going there, I went home, knelt down by my bed, and I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not. I really don't. But if you are who those people say you are, I'm I'm inviting you into my heart. And that was 30 years ago. And what I came to increasingly be aware of was this. I, as a human being on this planet, will never be alone or empty again. Because God is with me. Because I invited him into my life. It doesn't matter who you are, the color of your skin, your age, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter. God knows you. And he loves you. And he's calling you. He wants to be with you. But you need to invite him in. 
And I promise you, from what the Word says and from my own personal experience, once you invite Jesus to be your Savior, that invitation, you will never, ever be alone again, nor will you ever be empty. Because God will fill that God place on the inside of your soul. That's why God came. God knows we need him. We just scamper all around the planet trying to accumulate and trying to accomplish and trying to to achieve. We love the accolades. We love the affirmation of people. But it doesn't touch the core of your soul. Only God can do that. That's why he calls himself God with us. You and I were designed to walk with God from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve, and they walked together. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of our existence. That's why life doesn't make any sense apart from God. He created us for relationship with Him. So they're walking in the garden together. It all makes sense. There's no emptiness. There's no confusion. There's no guilt. There's no purposelessness. There's no loneliness. It's God and Eve, Adam and Eve, and they're walking together. And then, of course, because they decided to live independently, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and now they're separated from God, and that's when strife enters in. That's when he said, she said enters in. That's when blame shifting enters in, where Adam says, the woman that you gave me caused all of this. The woman that you gave me, so it's your fault and her fault, not my fault. That's where all that blame shifting began. And then Cain kills Abel, and so he got murder. And then, I mean, the planet just goes into chaos. And so then God comes to Abraham, and he says, I want to create a people that I can dwell among. Will you worship me? Because Abraham was worshiping the moon. And God says, Abraham, I created the moon. How about you forget about stargazing? How about you forget about astrology and start worshiping the God who slung the universes into existence? And Abraham said, ah, that sounds like a better idea. So, so God begins to reveal himself to Abraham in dreams. And then Moses comes along. And God says to Moses, can you at least put me in a box and just carry me around with you? I just want to be with you guys. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. So God climbs into a box and they carry God around with them so that God could be with his people. God always has always wanted to be with us. That's why he created us. And so then he comes as a human being to dwell among us, to be one of us. It's just crazy. The richest, the most powerful, the most awesome. Being praised by all the angels. Becomes his own creation so he could identify with us. Walk in our shoes. Feel what we feel. Be one of us. The psalmist, David, the man after God's own heart, was so blown away by this revelation that I was just trying to communicate. It's just, it takes the Holy Spirit to, to, it takes the Holy Spirit to illuminate everything I just said. Otherwise, it's just information. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals Jesus. I mean, you can just be walking through your life just normally and even as a believer. And then the Holy Spirit will just give you a revelation some call an epiphany it's the holy spirit he's revealing things to our hearts and our minds and our souls and i remember one day i was i was uh, praying and all of a sudden the revelation that jesus rose from the dead 
just exploded on the inside of me. And so I was so excited about it. I was already a believer. My brother was already a believer. But I had a revelation from the Holy Spirit. So I called my brother on the phone. I said, Brad, guess what? He said, what? I said, Jesus rose from the dead. He's like, yeah. Like, no, I mean, like, from the dead. He's like, yeah, I, I know. No, you don't understand. That's what revelation feels like. I mean, there's information and there's revelation where God just says, watch this, Jesus, and just kind of flips a switch on the inside of your soul. Bam, all the lights come on. You're like, whoa, God. That's called revelation from the Holy Spirit. So that's what's happening with the psalmist, David, right here. As he's writing this song, psalms in the Bible are song. He's got a guitar. He's out there with a the sheep, and he gets his revelation. Look at this. When I look at the night sky and see the works of your fingers. The moon and the stars that you set into place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Even think about us. Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God. Talking about us here in this room. He made us in his image. He made us a little lower, just a little lower than God. You'll never become God or a God a little lower than God, and crown them with glory and honor. You have been crowned with glory and honor from God himself. That's his image on you. We're not animals. We are human beings and the highest order of God's creation created in his image. And he crowned you with glory and honor. Satan is constantly trying to strip You of the glory and honor that God created you with. He uses human beings to cut you down with their words and the way they treat you. Trying to rob us and strip us of our glory and our honor. You're made in the image of God. And you gave them charge of everything you made. Putting all things under their authority. God came to be one of us so he could be with us, demonstrate kingdom living for us, die for us, and now he's waiting in heaven for us so we can be with him forever. You know, there's a phrase that I I really believe is true. People don't care how much you know. Do you know this phrase? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Whether it's the parents to children, bosses to employees, Coaches to athletes, teachers to students. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them individually. I remember my wrestling coach. The thing that inspired me to do well for him was he would have me over his home. He would would have the wrestling team over. Many times he would just have me over, me and, and one of the other guys, and his wife would cut our hair. And, uh, they would feed us pizza and, We'd hang out together, and he would talk to me about my life. And uh, at that time, my, my mom was a single mom, and so he was kind of like a father figure to me. He took me under his wing. So, man, when I was on the wrestling mat, and he's there in the corner, I want to beat the pulp out of this guy for my, for my coach because he cares about me more than he cares about me winning. 
That's how God feels about you. He's not impressed with how much you accomplish, what degree you get, what college you went to, how much money you make. Your self-worth and your net worth are not equal in his mind. You are his creation. And he cares so much about you, he came personally to rescue you. Now, Satan will lie to you. He will tell you there's many ways to God. It's just not true. It's only through his son who sacrificed himself for you. That was God on that cross. Dying for you so you would not end up in eternity separated from God because that's the penalty of sin. God paid a price for you that you can never pay. That's why I love him with all my being. I will never not love him and serve him and worship him. Never will I not love him and worship him and serve, serve him. After what he did for me, I hope you feel the same way. You know, there was a, a member in our church that posted on Facebook when President Obama came to play golf with Tory Pines and happened to be right in their backyard because they live on the golf course. And they're out there taking all these pictures and posted it and everybody's jumping in. Everybody's all excited. And I'm thinking... He came to play golf. And I thought, yeah. I don't, this isn't a, to sound shaming or to sound superior. It's just what went off in me. I wish we got that excited about Jesus. He comes to us every day. He came to the earth for us. And he comes every day. And he's coming again. And he didn't come to play golf. He came to save us from eternity in hell. And he didn't have to. We didn't deserve it. He came because he knows every single one of us individually. And he came because he's madly in love with us. And he doesn't want to see us perish. Can we thank him? Can we just say thank you, Jesus? Seriously. This is why the shepherds and the magi And the angels were all so excited. I mean, Jesus didn't come quietly the first time. He did come as a baby, but he brought his choir with him. I know they were expecting the Messiah to come, you know, when political power and show up on the scene. Oh, he's going to, but not the first time. The first time he comes as a baby, but it wasn't quiet. These shepherds are out in the field just minding their own business, you know, you know, cooking up their mochachinas, you know, and they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, what are they, the, uh, their espresso. Who are the two Italian monks that, that created the, uh, come on. Huh? Huh? The Cappuccino brothers, yeah. They, they were, do you know that? There were two brothers. They were monks. They found the bean out in the desert, and they decided to figure out how to do something with this bean, and they, they crushed it, and they roasted it, and they made coffee. That's where the cappuccino came from. Did you know that? Yeah, that's why pastors are allowed to drink all the coffee they want. And they're out there just drinking their cappuccinos, minding their own business, and boom, the sky lights up with an angelic choir. Could you imagine being there? That's crazy. And then, if you know astronomy, not astrology, astrology, by the way, is let's look at the stars and learn about ourselves. Astronomy is let's look at the stars and learn about God. See, New Age always talks about me. Christianity is let's forget about ourselves for a while and let's just be in awe of the living God. 
So God literally, if you study out astronomy, God literally put the plan of salvation and when Jesus would be born and where he would be born and what time he would be born in the stars. That's how the Magi knew. They had been waiting for centuries for the Son of God to come. Centuries. The shepherds tell the shepherds that tell the shepherds that tell the shepherds. The Magi tell the Magi who tell the Magi. The angels knew. But on earth, there were signs of his coming and prophecies for thousands of years. And then all of a sudden, it's now in our generation. The star's there. The angels, boom, they're rushing to Bethlehem to see him and worship him. They knew he was coming. But here's what they did not expect. Here's what they did not know, that he was going to leave again. That was devastating. Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, all the disciples, they're saying to Jesus, we've left all to follow you. We've been kicked out of the synagogue. Our families think we're crazy. We left our businesses. We left our livelihood. We believe you're the Messiah. You're the one. And Jesus says, yeah, but I'm going to die and I'm going to leave you. And they didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't get it until it happened. He died. God died right in front of their face. What do we do now? We thought he was the one. They're hiding in an act, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, after Jesus, well, no, before Jesus rose from the dead, they're hiding in an upper room. Yeah, they're hiding. They told, they, you know, they had cashed in everything for the Son of God. And then the Son of God, they watched him get crucified and die. Can you imagine what was going through their head? They're hiding. Then he rose from the dead. They're like, oh, thank God you came back. Oh, my gosh. We've been hiding. They were going to come and get us and crucify us next. And Jesus says, peace be unto you. And he breathes the spirit upon them, hangs out with them for 40 days. They're eating together, talking about the things of the kingdom. And then Jesus wakes up one day. Well, he was awake, and they all woke up, and he's waiting for them to come to breakfast. And he says, hey, hey, they say, hey, what are we going to do today, Jesus? He says, well, actually, I'm leaving. Like, oh, not again. Seriously? And he starts to float up from the ground. And there's Acts chapter 2. You can read it. Acts chapter 1. And they're watching Jesus float up in the ground. He's like, see it a while. And then the angels are there again. And they're singing. And then the angels say to the the disciples, why are you staring at Jesus? You knew this was going to happen. He's going to come back again. Don't worry about it. We'll see you later. And so now we are in this period where the Son of God has already come. He's already died for our sins. He already rose from the dead to prove all the critics wrong and to take authority and power over death, hell, and the grave. To set free every human being that is under the burden of sin and living by the fear of death. That's what happens when you receive Jesus as your Savior. The burden of guilt and shame and the penalty of sin is rolled off 
you're a, the, the shoulders of your soul. You live by the grace of Almighty God. You're not performing for God. You're just celebrating God and living for Him out of joy. And there's no fear of death. Do you know that's the number one fear in the human race? Any psychologist will tell you the number one fear in a human being is the fear of death. For the believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus said, Though you die, you will live, for I am the resurrection and the life. For the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, and next week I'm going to start a new series called Following Jesus into the New Year. We're going to look at what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus, when you follow Jesus, he's called the door. It's just simply moving from here to there for the believer. It's moving from here to there. It's like moving to Texas. Just go from San Diego to Texas. I hope heaven's a little better than Texas. That's all we're doing is we're just moving. There's no fear of death. I like to decide how I die if I kind of if I would have that option. But death itself is nothing but a doorway. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? We are here. He is there. So now, does that mean we are in the same situation as those that were waiting for him the first time? Not at all. Because Jesus, the risen Christ, comes to us every day in many ways. He is alive, you know. He's the living Jesus. And he comes to us every day. There's three ways he comes to us in particular. I'm going to hit these this morning in our our Christmas, Christmas message. God with us. How does God come to me every day? You guys ready for this? Three points real quick. Number one, he comes to you by his spirit. This is not abstract. It's not a metaphor. This is literal. Look at what Jesus said to his early disciples, and he says it to you and I here today. In the book of John, chapter 14, this is right before Jesus dies and goes to heaven. He's teaching his disciples about how it's going to be when he leaves. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. In other words, I am your advocate right now, but I'm going to send you another advocate. Huh? Somebody else? You're going to send somebody else? It literally means paraclete. It means somebody just like me. It actually was him, but it wasn't in a physical human form. What's he talking about? Look what he says. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete, a standby, an advocate. It literally means comforter, encourager, counselor. A comforter. When you're going through something hard, something difficult, you're riddled with anxiety and fear, comfort happens on the inside. You're comforted. He's there with you. And an encourager. Someone that is saying to you, you can do it. No matter how hard it is, I know you can make it. I'm with you. And a guidance, a counselor, someone who says, and this is how you do it. Who is this? Who is he talking about that offers these things to us while Jesus is in heaven? He will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an energy. He's Jesus. In the book of Acts, he's called the Spirit of Christ. This is Jesus Christ himself in you in spirit form. How much better is this? I mean, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve got to walk with God. He's beside you. With Moses, God's in a box. 
with the disciples, they're walking with Jesus in human form. How much better do we have it that Jesus lives inside your mortal body? Everywhere you go, he goes. Everything you feel, he feels. He's your best friend. He's with you all the time. God with us. So let's read this. The world cannot receive him because he is, they are looking for him. They don't recognize him. That's why you seem a little strange to the world when you walk with Jesus. They don't get it. They don't understand. But you know him because he lives with you. That's Christ living with them in human form. Because he lives with you now, but later will be, say it out loud, in you. See, Jesus has shown him what's about to happen. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, what does he mean by that? You will see me. He says, since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandment and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And here we go. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. That's what happened to me when I was 19 years old. And I said, Jesus, if you're real, I'm asking you to show yourself to me. And it was about a six-month period that there were about 115,000 coincidences. And I finally drew my own conclusion. These aren't coincidences. Jesus is revealing himself to me. He's communicating to me. He's drawing me. This is what happened to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, if you don't know the story. This woman at the well, a Samaritan, Jesus approaches her. He connects with her. And then he says, I'm the son of God. She runs into the town. She tells all the men in the town, hey, I just met the prophet. Come see. And so they came to talk to Jesus. Jesus spent two days with them. And then they said to her, we believed first because of your word. But now we believe for ourselves because we have heard him for ourselves. That is what Jesus does. Whenever I share my faith with someone, this is what I say to them. Look, if you don't believe right now, just pray this little prayer. Say, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not. But if you are, I'm asking you to reveal yourself to me because I know what's going to happen. If they just crack that door just a little bit, I know Jesus is going to start showing himself to them. And then they will have their own personal faith in their own Savior because Jesus will reveal himself if they simply ask. Amen. So the first way Jesus reveals himself to us on every day is by his spirit. Secondly, is by his word. Did you know that Jesus is the word of God? See, people criticize the Bible. People try to explain away the Bible. People try to say that the Bible is just a history book written by man. That is not true. At all. It is the living, breathing word of God. Jesus said this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Look what John, the closest disciple to Jesus, said about Jesus and about the word, the Bible, and about God. Look at this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and, say it out loud. The Word was God. 
Well, how do you know that's talking about Jesus? Well, let's go to verse 14 of the same chapter. So the word became human and made his home among us. Oh, we're not dealing with a history book. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's only Son. When you are reading the Word of God, this is why I read the Word of God all the time. I'm always reading the Word. Why? How many of you ate last night? Raise your hand. Did you eat last night? Did you go to bed hungry? Did you eat this morning? How many of you ate this morning before you came here? Okay, great. Are you going to eat later today? Yeah, because you're, because you're smart, right? You're not dumb. You know that you've got to eat to stay strong. Jesus said man does not live zoe, life, real life, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's talking about the Word of God, the Bible. I, I read and, and meditate and memorize the Word of God all the time because I'm feeding my spirit and my soul and my mind with God food. You got fish food, you've got dog food, you got human food, and then you got spirit food. The Word of God, the Bible says, is alive and powerful and sharper than any two edged word, uh, sword. It is, it is alive. And you feed your spirit with the Word of God, and God becomes alive. I remember one time I said to the Lord, because I'm very honest with Him, I said, God, I'm not excited about you anymore. I'm not excited about Jesus. I'm not thrilled about church. I, I, just kind of, I'm just kind of flat spiritually. I said, what's going on? You know, am I like unrepentant sin in my life? Or, I mean, are you mad at me? Or what's going on here? And you know what the Lord said to me? He spoke to my heart and said, I want you to read the Bible one hour a day, uninterrupted one hour a day for seven straight days. And I'm thinking, I would rather eat a bowl of rocks. Right? Because when you're spiritually kind of lifeless, the last thing you want to do is sit down and read the Bible for an hour. But I did it. By the seventh day, I was on fire. I couldn't wait to read the Word of God again. I want to see what happens next. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you are asking for fire, for revival, but you're not putting any wood in the fireplace. He said, my word is the wood. He said, the spirit is the wind and the flame is revelation knowledge. And you're not putting any wood in for the Holy Spirit to breathe on. So I've been just devouring the word of God ever since. That's how you stay on fire. Go back to Jesus, God with us. Look what John, the apostle, and we've got to come to a quick close here, and we're going to receive communion and experience the presence of God before we leave for our Christmas week. John, the apostle, who said Jesus is the word of God, put on an island to die. Jesus appears to him. He sees Jesus in his resurrected form, and this is what he writes. Revelation 19, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called, say it out loud, the Word of God. When you spend time in the Bible, you're spending time with Jesus himself. And the last way that he reveals himself to us, that I'm bringing up today, he reveals himself in many ways. One is through his spirit, Holy Spirit. That's why we love the Holy Spirit in this church. He's the one that makes the place alive. 
Secondly, is by his word. It's alive. Next week, we're going to start, well, uh, no, January 1st, we're going to start a new 30 for 30. That is, every, I'm calling everybody, inviting everybody to spend 30, day, uh, 30, 30 days, 30 minutes every day for 30 days in the word and prayer. To revive ourselves for the new year. To meet with Jesus. But the last way that he reveals himself to us is by his presence. Now, you don't always feel his presence, but his presence is always there. I remember one time I said to the Lord, I was in prayer, and I said to the Lord, I don't feel anything. I feel like my prayers are just hitting the ceiling. You ever felt that way? You're alone in your room or somewhere where you're praying, and you hear yourself talking, and it's like, this isn't working. This is lifeless. Lifeless. God's not. What, what makes me think God's listening to me? It's just me in a room with air. Have you ever, anybody ever felt that way before? Come on. Lying is, is a sin, and especially lying in church. Have you ever felt that way? Come on. You just feel like, seriously, this is just foolishness. And so I said to the Lord, because I told you, I'm real honest with him, because he already knows what's going on in your heart anyway. It's not like he finds out about what's going on in your heart when you confess it. And I said, man, I don't think, I don't, this, doesn't, this isn't doing it. I don't feel anything. And he said, good. Now stop praying by feelings and start praying by faith. Change my walk with him forever. Jesus said, when you pray, go into the secret place, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is in the secret place. Jesus said he's there. So whether you feel him or not is irrelevant. It's great when you do. It's awesome. But it's not necessary. He's there. He's hearing you. He's your Father, God, with me. But one of the ways to experience His presence is to participate in it. You've got to participate. Uh, I was walking my daughter, uh, Ava, to the bus this week, and it was freezing. I don't know what it was like down here, but up in the hill country... It was cold last week. I'm talking in the 20s. What is this? We wake up and there's frost on everything. I said, I moved from Ohio to get away from this. God. And so I'm walking to the bus and Ava's right next to me and she's just shivering cold. And I'm all nice and warm because I got my big, you know, parka on. And I'm, I'm feeling warm and cuddly. And she's right next to me. And she's freezing. and I'm not aware of it. Until she grabs me and pulls herself to me. And I looked down and I realized that she was cold. So I unzipped my jacket and I wrapped her. And so all you could see was like from her like thighs down. You know, you see that the bus is coming and you got this dude standing here. And then you have these extra pair of legs coming out from underneath the coat, right? And she's under there. She's got her, her nose right here breathing. She's saying, thank you, Dad. I can hear her, thank you. And I'm just holding her like this. you got to participate with God to experience his presence. Jesus is walking with a couple of guys after his resurrection down a road. And it says that Jesus was about to walk on and go on his journey. And the two begged him, please stay with us. So Jesus said, okay. Instead of Jesus, the son of God, was about to walk on. But they, they said, please stay with us. That's what worship is about. When you come here, you can just sit here and do this during worship. Or you can decide, I'm going to engage and worship the God who saved my life. I'm going to tell my soul, worship him, soul. And you purposely, as an act of will, begin to worship him because you're saying, God, I want you. 
I want you to come and touch me. I'm going to give you the worship you deserve. You choose to do that, and then God begins to respond to you like I did to Ava, like Jesus did to these two guys on the road. You know what happened? He said, okay, if you're begging me to stay with you, I'll come into your house. They came in, they broke bread, and when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened, and they saw it was the Lord. They hadn't seen him since he died on the cross. But because they pursued him, they experienced his presence. Same thing happened when the guys were out in the lake in a boat. And they see Jesus walking on the water. And he, the Bible says Jesus is going to walk by. Jesus will just walk by. He needs an invitation. He needs to know you want him daily. He was going to walk by these guys. And they cried out to him. So he got in the boat. And it says immediately they were to the other side. That's an interesting part of the Bible. We usually don't catch when you read that story. They were out in the middle of the lake. Jesus gets in the boat. Immediately they're on the other side. Jesus brings the supernatural into our lives when we invite him in. Look what the psalmist says again. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the far, to the farthest parts of the ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. That's God's desire for our lives is to guide us and to strengthen us. Can you say God with me? Just say it again. Say God with me. Say God is with me. Everywhere I go. When I sleep. When I wake. When I play. When I work. God is with me. God's in love with me. Will you say that? Just say God's in love with me. He made me. One of the ways that Jesus has given us to connect with his presence because he knows that he's physically gone and we are here and we are in this physical world without our God being physical with us. He's given us, um, he's given us a way to connect with him. It's a very spiritual, very tangible way and it's called the Lord's Supper, it's called communion. When Jesus was with his disciples, the last meal he ate with them, they ate together all the time. They had fellowship. They had relationship. They had friendship. And he says, this is the last meal we're ever going to have together, guys, until you see me in heaven. So he takes the bread and he breaks it in half. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And they're thinking, what are you talking about? Because they, as, as, as Jews in that century, understood covenant. They understood what that meant. All through the Old Testament, they're slaughtering uh, bulls and goats, slicing pigeons in half. What's that all about? That's called cutting covenant. When you kill an animal, it's a substitutionary act for the human uh, race and having a relationship with a holy God. A, a, A sinful people who have no right to be in the presence of a holy God. In the Old Testament, God says the penalty of sin is death, so I'll let you kill an animal in place of yourself. Blood must be shed for the penalty of sin. So they're killing sheep and the goats and bulls and pigeons. And so they understood what it meant to cut covenant with God. You kill an animal, and that pays the penalty temporarily for your sin, and so you and God can have fellowship and friendship because your sin's been paid for. So here comes the Lamb of God. 
And Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. They knew covenant terminology. They didn't understand what the heck he was talking about. They did in a few days when they saw his body broken on that cross. He takes the wine and he says, and this wine, this juice, is my blood. Because the blood of the animal will be poured out on the ground. So they understood he's talking covenant here, life and death stuff here. That this wine is my blood shed for you. We bring the communion down, brothers. I'm going to ask that the prayer teams come down first. Because I want you to receive the communion. Prayer teams, I want you to receive the communion first. So ushers, come down with the communion down here. Prayer teams, come down. Receive communion for yourselves. And then I'm going to ask prayer teams to be in the four corners, four prayer teams, two down here, two back there. And here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to read the actual passage about communion that Paul gave to us. And what my desire is for all of us today is that if we enter this Christmas week, realize it's not about the shopping, it's not about the gifts, it's not about what you get. You know, we're going to have fun. We bought a bunch of gifts. We have our tree. We have the presents. We celebrate it. We love it. We don't, it's not idolatry to us. We don't, we're not bothered by that. We have fun. We're a fun family. We have fun. But it's not about all that stuff. It's about the fact that God came to be with us. And that he allowed himself to be slaughtered on a cross for the payment for our sins. Then he rose from the dead, and he's in heaven. Can't wait for his kids to come home. That's what it's all about. And look what the Apostle Paul, look what Paul says. Jesus rose from the dead. He was in heaven. And then he decided to call Paul, who was a terrorist, who was beheading Christians. And Jesus appears to him, gives him the opportunity to trade sides change teams and he does becomes the apostle paul and jesus the risen christ teaches paul about communion how important is communion if the risen christ appears to a terrorist and says serve me and let me teach you something that's really important it's called communion isn't that amazing what we're about to do is something jesus takes very seriously He gave us something physical to connect with him on in this physical world. Look what Paul says. For I received from the Lord the teaching that I passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a piece of bread, gave thanks to God and broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me, what I did for you. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is God's new covenant. Sealed with my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in memory of me. And then Paul says, this means that every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you come down here and you eat this body and you drink this blood, you're not only remembering what Jesus did for you and you're saying, I am connecting with my Savior. Not only are you remember what he did for you, but you're also saying, I am proclaiming by taking this, I know he's coming back for me one day. And when he comes back, he's not coming as a little baby. Look at this. John saw the risen Christ, and he said, Jesus says to John, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. As you come and take this bread and drink this juice today, Do it knowing 
that Jesus came for you 2,000 years ago to pay for your sins. Do it knowing that he comes to you every day of your life. And do it knowing that he's coming back for you one day as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much in the way that you come to us in your spirit, your word, and with your presence. Thank you for this institution of communion. We believe by faith that when we take this bread and drink this, that, the, that it literally becomes your presence. We pray as we come down and worship you by eating your body and drinking your blood, that as people go to these prayer teams, that miracles happen, that people have revelations of you, Jesus, that physical bodies are healed, that people experience a spiritual revival and they're broken out of their mediocre mediocrity and their spiritual lethargy and they come alive and they walk with you into this new year with a fresh faith, fresh hope. Jesus' mighty name. So I invite you to come. Come down. And as you're coming down, the band is going to play Light of the World and we're going to worship Jesus. His presence is going to be able to fill, begin to fill this place. Connect with him in his body and his blood. So please come down the center aisle. Come down this way. If you want to stop off at a prayer team pit stop, you can meet a prayer team in the corners, either the two front corners or the two back corners. And let's believe Jesus for miracles in this place over the next five minutes.